waiting for God so loved the world. Amen. Let that, let that ring in your ears. I do want to say thank you, but I do get to use the thousand point font. So thank you indeed for uh, loving us all year long and really showing your appreciation this, this past month. So thank you very much for that. Also, I am, Cheyenne and I actually are leaving this afternoon for a Baptist monastery. Kinda. Uh, it's it's um, an organization called Broomtree Ministries, and they kind of help pastors, and this is just the retreat I was able to schedule this year. So, so we're leaving this afternoon. We'll be back next week. Um, so if you try to get a hold of me this week, I'm in a monastery. You know, it's a ba Baptist monastery, but uh, no, I'll, uh, I'll try to be available as much as I can. So if you have your Bibles with you and you open them with me, please open them to Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24, and today we're talking about your favorite thing. You're pretty surprised that I know what your favorite thing is, but I know what your favorite thing is. It's waiting. I bet you love waiting. No, that's right. <laughs> waiting is the worst, isn't it? What are you waiting for right now? Well, there's stuff we're all waiting for. In some ways, we're all waiting. We're waiting to see what happens with the election. We're all waiting. We're all waiting for the virus to be over. We're all waiting for a vaccine. We're all waiting, if I could sum it up like this, I, I think I could sum it up like this, maybe you disagree with this, but we're all waiting for life to go back to normal. We're waiting and waiting and waiting. And we act like we've never had to wait before. We act like this is the first time we've ever had to wait. But the, the truth is we've all had to wait for stuff at one point in our lives or another. So I think of my kids, like it wasn't true for me, but my kids, they have to wait for their first smartphone. Come to think of it, I had to wait for my first smartphone too. <laughs> Seemed like everybody in the whole world got one before I did. We all have to wait. We have to wait for our first smartphone. We have to wait for our driver's license. You just have to wait for that. You have to wait to get married. You have to wait for your first real job. You have to wait to have kids. You have to wait for your kids to grow up. You wait to retire. You wait for your kids to grow up. And then when, when your kids are grown up, then you wait for them to come home. Waiting is part of life. Waiting is just part of existence. There's no way to get around waiting. Waiting is where we live. We live in a space that includes waiting. And here, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying we, because waiting is unavoidable, we need to learn how to do it well. It's not like, it's not like when there's a vaccine, we'll be done with waiting. It's not like on November 4th, we'll be done with waiting. Waiting is here. Waiting has always been here. 
Until Jesus comes back, waiting always will be here. We need to learn how to wait well. And, and I thought we would start with Admiral Jim Stockdale. He was the highest ranking United States military officer in the Hanoi Hilton. He's a prisoner of war camp during the height of the Vietnam War. He was tortured 20 times during his eight-year imprisonment. Eight years while you're being tortured is a long time to wait. He knew something about waiting. Stockdale lived out the war without any prisoner's rights, no set release date, and no certainty of whether he would ever even survive to see his family again. As he waited and waited and waited year in and year out, as he waited and waited and waited. And Jim Collins has a student writing a paper on Stockdale, and so he and the student um, take Stockdale out for, out for lunch, and they interview him, and they say, what helped people survive? How did you get through? And he said, unflinching faith that this would be a defining moment for my good, that I would be changed forever for the better because of this, unflinching faith. And so then as they're walking back, Jim Collins writes, I didn't say anything for many minutes, and we continued the slow walk towards a, a faculty club. Stockdale, it's the general, limping and arc swinging his stiff leg that had never fully recovered from repeated torture. Finally, after 100 meters of silence, I asked, who didn't make it out? So after all that waiting, who didn't survive the waiting? Oh, that's easy, he said. Who do you think it is? You ready for this? The optimists. The optimists? I don't understand, I said, now completely confused, given what he'd said a hundred meters earlier about never giving up faith. The optimists, he said. Oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. Then Thanksgiving, and it would be Christmas again, and then they would die of a broken heart. And he talks about the Stockdale principle of holding both intention. I'm never going to give up faith, and I face the brutal facts. I may have to wait for a very long time. We're talking about waiting today, and we're talking about waiting well. So I want to introduce you to the Apostle Paul as he is waiting in Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24 and verse 1. And after five days, okay, so the Apostle Paul was taken prisoner by the Romans um, for his own safety when he was in Jerusalem. And... Uh, after he had been in the temple and a riot broke out and the Romans came in and saved his life and he got a chance to try to share the gospel and then they um, started rioting even more. Then there was a kind of a, a trial and it didn't really work and so they had to go up to Caesarea and so he's 
now he's up in Caesarea and he's, what's our word for the day? He's waiting. He's waiting. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman. They went out and found the best spokesman they could find to talk to the Roman who was in charge. One, Jeffrey Figer. They went and found a high-powered lawyer that would make their case and make it well. Tertullus. And they laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept with all gratitude. It kind of drips with, I can't think of a great word for it, um, flattery. Verse 4, but to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots. Three accusations here. The first one is he stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of a sect of the Nazarenes. Second accusation, ringleader of sect of the Nazarenes. Verse 6, he even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. So three accusations, riots, he's part of the sect of the Nazarenes, and he's profaning the temple, which of course would make us riot. And Paul is waiting on these charges. And the Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so, and when the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheer cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. Okay, so he's speaking to the first accusation, Paul starts riots. And the reason we had to attack him was he starts riots. The reason we had to riot because he's a really bad rioter. And Paul is saying, I was only here for 12 days. I did not have time to start a riot. Verse 12, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogue or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. So he's saying, the first accusation they have against me, he starts riots. It's not true. Not true at all. They can't prove it, and it's not true. I haven't even been here long enough to start a riot. Now he's going to go after their second accusation, which, remember, was he's part of the sect called the Nazarenes, or that's, of course, because Jesus was from Nazareth, and so they weren't sure what to call Christians yet, so they called them Nazarenes. So here we are in verse 14 as he addresses this one. But this I confess to you, that according to, what are those next two words? The way. That seems to be Paul's favorite name for the movement of the disciples that we would then call Christians the way, as they follow Jesus on the way, which they call a sect, but he's saying it's not a sect. I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. He's saying the Old Testament is a Christian document. He says, I stand in line with the Old Testament. 
having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Going back to Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, that the day is coming when God will judge the just and the unjust. Verse 16, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and men. So their first accusation is Paul likes to start riots, and Paul's saying, no, no, I haven't been here long enough to start a riot, and they found me, I was peacefully in the temple, minding my own business, and they started the riot. Then second accusation, he's part of a sect called the Nazarenes, and Paul says, no, I stand in line with the Old Testament. Third accusation, he's polluting the temple, verse 17. And after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and present offerings. He's like, I came to present aid. I came to offer all offerings, not to pollute the temple. Verse 18, while I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple. I wasn't polluting the temple. I was fulfilling a vow. Purifying the, I was purified while I was in the temple. Without any crowd or tumult, but some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before before you to make an accusation should they have anything against me else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day so the apostle Paul answers their three accusations and Felix can see it and so we read in verse 22, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, there's that name again, put them off. Okay, so, so we're, what are we talking about today? Talking about waiting. Talking about waiting. And so Felix says, you know, I, I've heard both sides, and what I'd like to do is just wait a little longer. Paul, you don't mind staying in jail, right? Let's wait a little longer. Put them off saying, when Lysus, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. So I'll wait until this next thing happens. I'll wait until they come down from Jerusalem. But here's the thing. He never gets around to making this decision. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody but have some liberty. And that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. So the apostle Paul is able to still um, right and still be ministered to, but the Apostle Paul is in a waiting pattern. He, he is simply waiting. Verse 24, after some days Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was, uh, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. So here's this Roman in charge coming to Paul, hearing him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. All things that would have made Felix very nervous. And Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Okay, so when we first, he, Felix first hears both sides and he says, go away for a little while. We're going to wait to make this decision until... Until Lysus comes down. Then he says, then Paul speaks to him about the Christian faith and he says, Go away for now. I'll decide about this later on. 
At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul, so he's kind of waiting for a bribe. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. I think that's fascinating. You remember he says Paul shared with him, Paul told him about the Christian faith, righteousness, self-control, the coming judgment, and he's alarmed by it. He finds it alarming, like terrifying and fascinating at the same time. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. Like, I'll ask you a question, then you ask me a question. And what we learn from this is that the Apostle Paul, while he was waiting, stayed on mission. The Apostle Paul stayed on mission. He kept conversing with Felix. He kept asking Felix questions. Felix kept asking him questions. Anytime he was sent for, Paul stayed on mission. What we'll learn later on is that Paul was in jail for two years. For two years, Paul is there just waiting. And while Paul is waiting, Paul stays on mission. Like, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you're saying, I'm going to wait to stay on mission, or I'm going to get back on mission, If you're saying, I'm going to wait to get back on mission until after this virus goes away, you may wait for a very long time. That would be like Paul saying, I'll wait to get back on mission until I get out of jail. Paul will be in custody throughout the end of the book, through Acts 28. But he'll stay on mission. It's it's so easy for us to say, I will get on mission when? When I get married, when I get my first real job, when I retire, when this happens, or when that happens. A way to wait well is to stay on mission while you're waiting. So a question I'd like you to be thinking about is who could you converse with? Who could you converse with? Who could you ask a question to and then have them ask you a question? Who could you be in conversation with about faith in Christ Jesus? About righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Who could you be in conversation with while you wait, because waiting is going to be part of our life. Waiting has been part of our life, and it will continue to be part of our life. You, you know, there's one sense in which, for believers, I want to kind of, kind of, kind of push you to not, not give up, not quit on mission while we wait. There's also a sense in which it, I think there are people here, perhaps on the live stream, that have a decision they need to make. So Felix had a decision he needed to make. He needed to decide to do justice for Paul. He also needed to decide whether or not he would believe in Christ Jesus. Felix had a decision that he needed to make. He needed to make those decisions. 
but he never got around to actually making those decisions. And I'm just saying indecision is kind of a decision. If you put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off, that's a decision too. So what I'd like to do is just encourage you to decide what information you need. What information do you not have yet? Get that information and then give yourself a deadline to make a decision. I, I don't think you should make a decision until you have all the information that you need. But get the information that you need and then make a decision. Like the apostle, the apostle Paul was waiting on this guy to give him justice. And there might be people waiting on you to make a decision. What, what information do you still need? And, and Felix, he, he needed to make a decision about Jesus. And so he calls Paul in and he converses often with him. He probably had all the information that he needed. He just didn't want to make a decision. And there's something, just while, while, we, while you think about this, what, what information do you still need before you decide, especially on Christ Jesus? While you think about this, I just want to warn you that there's something, there's something tempting about indecision. Like there's something alluring about not having made up your mind yet. Because it feels like you're in charge. You feel powerful when you're like, well, I haven't decided about that. I'm still a free agent in terms of that. There's something like inviting or something that we want about, well, I haven't decided yet means I don't have to submit to a hard path yet. I don't have to submit to a program or I don't have to submit to anything yet because I, I haven't decided yet. But let me ask you this. Can you think of anything significant that has ever been accomplished through indecision? Can you think of anyone you admire that has lived in a perpetual state of indecision? Get the information you need and then decide. Look, if you need to read through the Gospel of Luke to, to rethink about, do I have everything I need to know about Jesus? Read through the Gospel of Luke and then make a decision. If you need to think about conversion, read through Acts chapter 9 again about the Jesus coming to meet the Apostle Paul on the way. Read through it again and make a decision. But get the information that you need and then make a decision. Don't, don't be in this perpetual forever state of waiting. Okay, so we said, as you wait, as we learn to wait well, we said, stay on mission because life is one holding pattern after another, whether we like it or not. And then we said, gather information and then decide. And now, now finally, watch this. And two years had elapsed, is what we said earlier. It was to be two years. And Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And to me, if I'm Paul and I hear rumors of this transition, I'm going, okay, good. Finally, finally I'm going to get justice. Finally, either Felix will decide or Festus will decide. Finally, a decision will be made. You know how presidents sometimes pardon people in their final hours in office? You know, maybe Paul was like, maybe he'll let me out now that, now that it won't matter anymore to him. 
But watch what happens here. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. And so Paul had to continue to wait. He had to wait and wait and wait. Hey, what are you, what are you waiting for? What have you been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for and waiting for? Some of us would be waiting, waiting for there finally to be the political transition from Felix to Festus. And when it happened, you know what? Paul still had to wait. What are you waiting for? I think there are people, it seems like, it seems like there's part of us that, that think that when we get married, then a certain kind of temptation will completely go away. And I just want to tell you that's not true. You're still going to face temptation after you're married. You're waiting for the wrong thing if that's what you're waiting for. I think there are people that, that think that when I first get my first real job, then all of my financial troubles will disappear. I just want to tell you, that's not true. There are a lot of people here that can testify. That's not true. You're still going to have financial worries and woes when you get your first real job. I think there is people, I really believe this, that really think that when I retire, all the stress will evaporate from my life. Those of you who are tired, you can laugh louder than that if you want to, to kind of give everyone else a sense of, like, dispel that lie for them. It's not true. Here's what we're waiting for. Okay, before I tell you what we're waiting for, what we're really waiting for, I just want to say, a lot of us are waiting for our life to go back to normal. Can I just have my life go back to normal? Okay, well, if we could re rewind the tape, Last year at this time, were you living in heaven? Was it, is it true that there was no stress in your life a year ago? Is it true that everything was perfect a year ago? Is it true that if we could just go back to a year ago, then everything would be right in the world? Is that true? No, it was still stressful then. And a year from now, if there's a vaccine, it will be stressful still. Here's what we're waiting for. Well, let me read it to you before I put it on the screen. Look at chapter 24, verse 15. Well, we'll start back up in verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down in the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be, this is his hope, a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. His hope is that one day God will make everything that is wrong right, that one day God will bring about justice, that one day God will fix all of it and make all things new. That is his hope. That is what he longs for. And when we learn to wait 
and we learn to wait well, that is what we're waiting for. We're waiting for God to make all things new. We're waiting for the resurrection of the dead. And, and this, is, this is our hope. You see this again in verse 21. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. This is, his final, this is his hope. This is what he points his life at. That this life is not the end. That one day God will make all things right and new and good. And that will be at the resurrection of the dead. This is what he says again down here in verse 25. And he reasoned about the righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment when God makes all things right. So look, this is what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the resurrection of of the dead. We're waiting with resurrection hope. This is the focus of our hope. If you get your hope in other things, you will be disappointed because when you get there, you'll find out that it is still stressful. I've talked to more than one person. And and, and they weren't neither of these people would be people you would know. But they were working amazing, amazing, amazingly hard, amazingly smart, amazingly long hours, because their idea was, I'm going to be able to retire by the time I'm 55. And, you know, for all I know, they did it. But I just have to believe, when they get there and they finally retire, and they sit there, they're going to be awfully disappointed that heaven is not here. That that didn't fulfill everything they were hoping, that it didn't work like they thought it was going to. That their relationships are non-existent, that like vertically, but also horizontally, that they have nothing between them and God. Like it's just not going to, they're not in heaven yet. I just think that if, if I could just help you with this, put your hope in Christ. Not in earthly things. Earthly things will disappoint you. You'll finally get there and wonder, I thought I was going to be better than this. Unless it's heaven. what should we do while we wait? What should we do while we wait? Well, we should stay on mission. Paul is waiting. He's waiting on a guy that was hoping he would bribe him. He's waiting on a guy that had all the facts. He's waiting on a guy that was completely unjust. He's waiting in prison. And we read that when Felix sent for him, and he sent for him often, he conversed with him. This is, this is the guy that Paul is waiting for. This is the guy that Paul is on mission with. And I, I just ask you, who, who are you waiting for? Who are you waiting for? Would, would you converse with them? Would you pray for them every day? As you wait, would you stay on mission? Who are you waiting for? 
Second, what, the, the next question is, what do you need to know? What, what are you still waiting on? Like we, this was the second point where gather the information you need and then decide. And, and I just want to encourage you on this because there's no end to the information that you can gather. There's just no end. Like if you're, if you're in indecision because you don't know enough yet, I don't know if you'll ever know enough. And, and, and I, I don't know if it's helpful or not, but I just want to just tell you a little bit about my week. Okay, so, so every week I gather information to preach. I gather information on Monday and Tuesday. So I do my research on Monday and Tuesday. And then I stop researching because you know what? Researching is enjoyable. Researching is not stressful. Researching is something that I could do all week long. There's no, there's no bloodletting in researching. You know, there's no hard decisions in researching. Researching, you're just gathering information. Now, you have to research. If you don't research, you're going to say the same thing every week. But, but re- research is valuable, but it's not an end. It doesn't get you anywhere. Then I have a deadline. And Wednesday morning, I meet with a group of people, and I kind of talk about where the sermon is going to go. Well, that's, that's a really hard thing, because now I have to commit to a path. Now I have to commit to some decisions. I have to submit to a way that this sermon is going to go. Then I write the sermon on Wednesday and Thursday. And then by Thursday, usually if, those, if you're on Facebook and you like our church, you've seen videos of me saying, this is what we're talking about this week. And this last week I talked about waiting. It's a, it's a terrible, painful, stressful thing to try to make that sermon because it means I have to talk about waiting. I actually have to do it. I can't change my mind after I do that. And then on Saturday, I review it, and Sunday, I cram and panic and then preach. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying it would be easy for me to spend the whole time researching and never actually decide what I'm going to preach until it's too late. don't want that to be your life story. That you spend all your time in indecision, all your time researching, and never actually make a decision. What information do you need? Get the information and make a decision. And finally, finally wait. Wait for the right thing. When I went to college, I, and maybe this wasn't college that I'm remembering, but it seems like to me that it was freshman orientation. I had some of the worst experiences in lines I've ever had. And maybe, maybe you've had worse experiences in lines. I can think of some other places that, that might have been worse. But it seems like to me this was freshman orientation. So, so you get there and there's hundreds, hundreds of, of freshmen. And we all have to stand in different lines for different things. There's, and that was back before before computer systems were very good. So, so you had to fill out the same information 20 different times for 20 different apartment, departments. It was, it was really, really bad. But I remember, it just seemed so inefficient to me at the time. But anyway, you'd stand in line. I'd stand in line for 90 minutes waiting to get to the front of the line. And then you find out you're standing in the wrong Line and you have to go to that line first, but the lines weren't clearly labeled, and you're like, you just want to cry and break things and swear, but it's a Christian university, so you can't, you know. And so, like, 
oh, I'd be so frustrated. And finally, finally I got to the point where I go to the front of the line and everyone would be looking at me like, you jerk, you better not cut. I go to the front of the line and say, is this the line for? Okay, and then I go to the back of the line and stand in line. But I wanted to make sure I was in the right line. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying you better make sure you're standing in the right line. Okay? As you spend your life waiting, waiting for one thing, waiting for the next thing, as you spend your life in one waiting, holding pattern, and then the next one, better make sure you're standing in the right line. Okay, let me re read to you what's at the end of the right line. Revelation, you go to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is the line we stand in. This is what we this is what we celebrate every week or every, every month with communion. Remember how, remember how the passage ends? Till he comes. We remember that we are a people in waiting. And we remember what the finish line is. We remember what we're waiting for till he comes. I just want to make sure you're standing in the right line. Stay on mission. Get the information. Make a decision. And stand in the right line. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you pull us close to yourself this day. Lord, that you help us remember what the right line is and what the finish line is. Lord, that we would live well while we wait. Lord, that we would that we would that we would not have false hopes for this life, but that our hope will be placed firmly in you for the next. Give us Give us courage to face the brutal facts. Give us, give us the faith to keep our eyes fixed on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.